the bath. Why do we, well, we can't clean exactly, but why spiritually? In February 2003, there's me. I went to Iraq with my battalion, the 3rd Battalion of the Parachute Regiment. It was my first time actually going to war. I'd served in the Troubles in Northern Ireland many times, both with the Paras and with other regiments. I'd been across there, and Fiona and I and our two boys had lived in Ballykelly in Northern Ireland for nearly two years. But the Northern Ireland, it was the Troubles. We saw people being killed and blown up. But it wasn't exactly like going to war. Because with a war, there's constant gunfire. Constant danger, day by day. It is relentless. It's hard to sleep at night because of the noise around you of the war that's taking place. There is a constant threat of attack. And what does that mean? Well, it means, actually, that certain things take a back seat. Certain things that you and I take for granted in our daily lives, you don't do as a soldier because, well, to put it, to put it bluntly, you don't want to be caught with your pants down. It's not a pleasant thing to be if you're being attacked and you're there not exactly ready to respond in the appropriate fashion. So everything you do enables you, is done to enable you to move quickly. For example, I had to get used to the idea when I first joined the army of actually getting into my sleeping bag in my muddy uniform with my boots on. Because if you were bugged out in the middle of the night, you didn't know how to get out and you saw me earlier on trying to lace up your boots and you're being attacked because that's, that's, that's stupid, isn't it? So you go to sleep every night wearing your clothes and having your muddy boots in your sleeping bag. If you're, you, if you're wet and soaking wet, then you just lay in there in your soaking wet clothes because, believe it or not, your body heat dries out your uniform. So by the morning, you're nice and dry. Still very muddy, but now it's dry mud and not wet mud. You don't get undressed. You shave when you can, you keep your body as clean as you can, but in fact, for weeks and months, you never have a shower, and you certainly never have a bath. And what does that mean? It means you never change your underwear. <laughs> if, that's, if that's a bit of a publicity advertisement for the army, please see me afterwards, and I'll point you in the right direction. But no, you don't clean your underwear. Why? Because you cannot be in that situation when your uniform's in a pile beside your feet and you're putting on your gloriously new underwear and suddenly a shell comes into your midst. You don't change your underwear. And back in 2003, I wrote a poem about this experience. I based it on the famous Lionel Richie song called Stuck on You. This is the poem. I wrote this on the 2nd of April, 2003. I was once a quality item, a piece of underwear to protect my, merit, my, to protect my wearer's modesty, to prevent that idle stare. I may not have been Ben Sherman or a pair of Calvin Klein, but to be reduced to this sorry state, you can understand my whine. I used to have elastic. I used to be quite pert but now I'm just a soggy mess. You know what really hurts? My wearer doesn't worry. He doesn't seem to care that this former piece of lingerie is no longer underwear. I have become to take on a form that's not my maker's intention, and I have become something in between, too hideous to mention. I'm not yet quite organic, but I'm needing to be fed. I'm somewhere in that darkness between the living and the dead. My pallor is quite dreadful. It's a dark and dingy hue. 
That's a cocktail sweat and other things that mostly rhyme with goo. <laughs> if ever he who wears me feels it's time to pull me off, he'll need a hammer and a chisel, and you just think I scoff. For now I am a part of him. There's nothing he can do. This former piece of underwear is literally stuck on you. And in the desert, surrounded by 600 other paratroopers, being smelly, being dirty didn't matter because we all smelt the same. We smelled of older Cologne paratrooper 2003. That was our common, our common smell. It didn't matter. That was a standard of atmosphere and no one changed their underwear. No one had a shower. And in fact, when the war finished um, uh, later on, the doctor took a picture of me having my very first shower. It's a very modest picture, by the way, of me having my shower. And that's all the water we had to wash off for those six weeks' worth of grime that formed on my body on that time. And the great tragedy for me was that I thought I had a great tan, a real soldier's tan, and virtually all of it went down the plug hole. You see, cleanliness is a matter of opinion. What you think is clean may not be what someone else thinks is clean. The first thing Fiona did when I got married was she went through my drawers and took out all my old pants that I had for around about 15 years and put them in the bin. When I came home and found these old pants, they were perfectly clean, but they were a bit old-fashioned, a bit Marks and Spencer, okay, a bit old-fashioned. She then took these pants, so I went, found them in the bin, took them out, gave them a shake and put them back in my drawer. The following day when I came back from college, I found my pants in the bin again. But this time, if you're not taking a pair of scissors to them. So they remained in the drawer. What you think is clean may not meet the standards of others. The Tehran Times run an article about this particular gentleman here. He's an 80-year-old man called Amu Haji. And Amu Haji lives in a, in a solitary nomadic life in southern Iran, and he hasn't bathed in 60 years. Not only has he never washed in 60 years, he actually smokes animal feces in his pipe. And um, the Tehran Times time said that Hajad, Haji believes that cleanliness brings him sickness. He doesn't have many friends. <laughs> I wonder why. Those of you who are a bit older like myself will remember those adverts in the 1960s and 70s for tobacco. Remember these adverts, very sexist adverts about tobacco? And I found one online the other day that I must share with you because it just reminds me of you smoking donkey poo as, as, as tobacco. This is one of these Sabrino adverts from the 1970s. And Bruno Rafkat, ready wrapped for the pipe, unmistakably different. A pipe does something for a man. St. Bruno does something more. Rafka, the cool man, St. Bruno. I'm not sure St. Bruno could write another advert for donkey poo. 
It's an Eeyore. The original rough cut, lumpy, smelly, and now 100% donkey. It's an Eeyore does something for a man, but tobacco for the man who doesn't want to try too hard. People have many excuses for not going along to church. People will say, well, I don't need to bath, I don't need to be washed because I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I look in the mirror, I think, yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm, a, I'm an okay kind of guy. A pastor in America was so fed up with the kind of excuses he had from people saying why they didn't go to church, he wrote down 20 reasons why they didn't go to church, but he changed it from going to church to washing. And so these are excuses that were given to him why people didn't come to church, and he simply changed it to the idea, the concept of washing. So, why don't you wash? I was forced to wash as a child. I don't wash because people who wash are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everyone else. I don't wash because there's so many different types of soap. I can't decide on which one is best. I used to wash, but I got bored, so I stopped. I only wash on special occasions, like Christmas and Easter. None, none of my friends wash. I started washing, so I will start washing when I get older and dirtier. I can't spare the time to wash. The bathroom is never warm enough. In the winter it's too cold and it's not cool enough in the summer. People who make soap are only after your money. I watch other people washing on TV. There are lots of clean people who never wash. We've just moved here six years ago and I haven't had a chance to find a bathroom. <laughs> I bought a bad bar of soap once so swore I would never wash again. I feel as close to washing on a golf course as I do in the bathroom. Wash day is the only day I have to sleep in. My spouse washes enough for the whole family. I know people who wash, but don't act very clean. Washing is the opiate of the masses. I'll wash when I'm on my deathbed. The problem is, is that when we don't wash, we become unhealthy and we start to make a bit of a stink. I know that this firsthand, and the first thing I did when I got back from Iraq in 2003 is not just wash once, but I soaked in the bath for a long, long time because the, ink, the dirt and the sand of Iraq was deep into my pores. It took a long time to get it out. Washing is something that is critical for human hygiene and human health. I may have thought I was okay, and it was okay to smell the way I smelt when I was surrounded by six other hungry, sorry, six other smelly paratroopers but my standards of hygiene weren't good enough for Fiona and they weren't good enough for my family. They were only good enough for deserts of South Iraq. And this is what the Bible means when it says this passage. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or as it puts in the New Living Translation, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, the standard of cleanliness, the standard of hygiene required is not your idea of hygiene or my idea of hygiene. It is God's idea of hygiene. And his example isn't you or me. It is Jesus Christ.
the perfect Son of God. That's what the Bible tells us. All of us are dirty and we fall short of the glorious standard of God. All of us need to be washed. That's one of the reasons as a Baptist church we wash people. We have this service of baptism symbolising the spiritual washing of their lives when they realise they need to be baptised and need to come clean with God. It's not your standard or my standard that counts. It is God's standard. When you buy a car, I don't know how many of you like to read your manual. I'm one of these people that likes to read manuals. And uh, so if you buy a Ford Focus, of course, you read the, mag- the, the manual for the Focus to know how the service in- in- intervals are, what oil to use, when to change it, what to change what when, how much air to put in the tyres. You don't buy a Ford Focus and then use a Suzuki manual to drive your Ford Focus, do you? You don't buy a Vauxhall and then use a Tesla manual to work out how to service it. You go to the maker, the manufacturer's manual. You look at that and that will tell you the right tolerances and the right services to make sure that engine, that body and that vehicle remains healthy on the road. And that's true for us as human beings. We have a maker's manual, a manual that God has given us, a manual that's there to give us the right tolerances, to tell us how to live our lives, to keep us healthy, not only physically healthy, but spiritually healthy, to put us right with God. And that manual, of course, is called the Bible. You see, Jesus is the perfect Son of God. The Bible tells us this about him. He says, He has never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. It says, Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So if you meet that standard, if you're as clean as that Son of God, then you don't need to be washed. And if you believe you're that clean, I don't think you belong in this church. I believe you belong in an insane, insane, a sane asylum. Because no one is that clean. I'm certainly not clean. As a minister, I can wear a dog collar. It doesn't make me a clean person. None of us are perfect. None of us are clean enough. Only Jesus is clean enough. And the way we become clean is by asking him to wash us, to believe in him, to ask for his forgiveness, and to take a spiritual bath to ask God to wash away our sin and to make us a new person. We can't be someone who is a Christian because our parents were Christian. Your parents can't take a bath for you, can they, to make you clean? And your friends can't take a bath for you to make you clean. And you're not made clean because you're British because you're born into a so-called Christian or a so-called clean country because I don't believe Britain is a Christian country anymore if, if it ever was. Each one of us have to come to Jesus and to ask him to wash us and to make us clean. And there was a story that was read earlier by Terry. There was a guy called Philip and Philip was in a chariot with a very important man, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He was an important guy. He was the Chancellor of the Exchequer for Ethiopia, an important man, a bigwig. And yet even he needed to be washed, made clean. And as Philip shared with him and explained to him what the Bible meant, he was hid in the stomach by the truth. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip 
baptized him. This man was as high as you can get next to the queen in Ethiopia. But he realized he was a dirty human being that needed to be washed by Jesus Christ. Let me really encourage each one of you. We're living in an age that's talking about infection and about dangers and we've been given advice to wash our hands. And that's really important advice to avoid catching infection, especially not to catch the coronavirus. But there's one virus that's even more deadly than the coronavirus. That is sin. That is not meeting the standards of God. And each one of us has to come to a decision whether we want to be washed and clean, whether we want to be people who experience the new life of Jesus Christ, who can face death with confidence, or whether we face death not knowing whether we know the Lord Jesus or not. On Wednesday, I was privileged to be around the, the, in, in, in the hospital around the, the body of a man who just died with the Nepalese community, a man called Cali Frapper. And we stood around his body and we prayed for Callie. And we had every confidence that we will see Callie again. And this young man, this is now, he was 70, on the bed, had been, a, been, in, the, been in the Nepalese army and then come into the Gurkhas. He'd reached the rank of sergeant, the Royal Engineers. And we had photographs around the bed of him as a young man. A young, fit man who would go up the mountains and the foothills of Nepal with great strength, carrying heavy weights, and then came over to Britain and served, served very well in the, in the Gurkhas. And all these pictures of Kali as a young man, and now this frail body on the bed. And yet we prayed for that man. And as a family, we gathered around him. We prayed with faith because I was surrounded by other Christians, and we knew that death has been conquered. And one day I'd see this man as a healthy young man again, not as an old, frail 70-year-old on the bed, but a man with vitality and energy in his body. Because that is our faith. That's what we believe as Christians. But to have confidence like that in the face of death requires us being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Requires us saying, God, I've screwed up. God, I need your help. I need to be washed. Wash me. Change me. Make me a new person. People, don't leave this place dirty. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Don't leave this place being content with your own hygiene. But come before God and ask for Lord Jesus to wash you and make you like him. That you may face death and life with confidence as someone who walks this life like the testimonies we heard from Mary and Peter, people who know the Lord Jesus and walk through life with the confidence of knowing him in their lives day by day. Let's stand and sing our final.